Sports Scripts with DCROM is brought to you by Top Choice Athletics, the number one company in customized sports equipment and apparel, specializing in baseball, basketball, soccer, volleyball, tennis, golf, and of course, football. All apparel and equipment can be customized according to your needs. To stay tuned to exciting sports news and deals, follow them on Facebook and Instagram at Top Choice Athletics and follow them on Twitter at RealTCAthletics. Check out their awesome products and order online today from TopChoiceAthletics.com. Welcome back to Sports Punch with D. Crom, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, David Cromwell. We are already halfway through the 2018 NFL season, and just like many races in the 2018 election, countless games have gone down to the wire, and many, if not most, division titles are still up for grabs. However, the last few weeks of games haven't had quite as much drama as the first seven or so, and this week's slate looks pretty bland. And my partner, Hale Bent, are you kind of thinking the same way as I am? Yeah, I think so, David. It doesn't have that Ram-Saints matchup like last week, the Aaron Rodgers-Tom Brady matchup. But you know what? There's still some good games, and we're starting to get into some of those divisional games. So divisional games are where strange things happen. So we could have some fun and some upsets starting this week. Oh, I completely agree with you, Hal, and we will get to those games in just a minute. But first, uh, let's talk about some takeaways from Week 9, and let's start with the Pittsburgh Steelers. They are looking like a team nobody, and I mean absolutely nobody, wants to face right now, including last night's absolute drubbing of the Carolina Panthers in a game that I expected to be far more competitive. They just blew them out of the water, 52-21. to They are on fire right now. They have absolutely dominated, physically dominated, their last five opponents. Last night was not a fluke at all, and plus the uh, tragedy at the Tree of Life Synagogue has given them added inspiration to play for their hometown. So the Pittsburgh Steelers are arguably looking like the most dangerous team in football right now. Oh, without a doubt. And and as we always talk every week, David, it starts in those trenches. And you saw it last night and the week before. Raymond Foster, Marquise Pouncey, David DeCastro, Marcus Gilbert, and Alejandro Villanueva. These guys are mauling people up front. And it's making it easy for Ben Roethlisberger and James Conner and letting Juju Smith-Schuster and Antonio Brown getting open downfield with all day to throw, even against great defenses like Carolina last night. So, you know, the Steelers are winning in the trenches, and that's why they're becoming so, so dangerous this year because they're just manhandling everybody in sight. Yes, and I will add two more things to that. Number one, uh, I think a big reason why the Steelers' offense is looking a lot better than it did last year is because Todd Haley's no longer the offensive coordinator. Yes, Todd Haley is a good X's and O's guy, but he doesn't really put players in consistent positions to, to win all the time. His play calling was very, very iffy, especially in that divisional round playoff game against Jacksonville last year. And their new offensive coordinator, Randy Fitchner, who was the quarterback's coach for the Steelers in recent years, he is putting Ben Roethlisberger in the right situations at the right time, unlike Todd Haley. Great, great point, David. I agree with that. And we saw how Todd Haley fared this year in Cleveland as well. So it looks like they made the right call in Pittsburgh there. 
They most certainly did. And this gets even more complicated. Uh, Jay Glazer reported last night that Le'Veon Bell is expected to sign his franchise tender this Tuesday so he could play uh, this season. But the way James Conner has been playing for the Steelers, I wouldn't give James Conner no less than half of the carries, even if Le'Veon Bell returns. Would you? No, I wouldn't. I think James Conner is actually outperforming Le'Veon Bell in his best season right now. The, the Coming out of the receiving, the hard-charging running, and I talked about that offensive line. You saw early in the season when the, there was problems with Le'Veon Bell not coming back. That offensive line has adopted James Conner as their guy, and they are working their tails off blocking for him. And I'd be kind of concerned about putting anybody else back there. And if Le'Veon Bell does come back in the next week or so, you may have the highest paid backup running back in NFL history back there. Amen, amen, amen. Hal, you are right again. Pittsburgh Steelers, whatever you do, please do not let James Conner leave the field at all, even if Le'Veon Bell returns. James Conner is just way too talented a player to take off the field for a lot of snaps. This, it just doesn't make sense. Keep riding James Conner, Pittsburgh Steelers. He is just an amazing story and an amazing player, an amazing human being, the whole package. James Conner, I think, is your future bell cow in Pittsburgh going forward. And another takeaway from week nine, the Washington Redskins. We thought they had an easy, easy path to winning the NFC East, but last week they lost both of their starting guards, including their pro bowler, Brandon Scherf, for the season, and Paul Richardson, an underrated wide receiver, was lost for the season as well. They are in big trouble right now, especially since they were so dependent on Adrian Peterson in that ground game. I think the Washington Redskins have lost a lot of leverage in that NFC East playoff race, haven't they? They definitely have. It's it's looking like that uh, NFC East is turning to uh, all Philadelphia Eagles all the time very shortly. And I think this is the week we start seeing the Super Bowl champions make their big push and big charge to take over that division and uh, be dominating that and back to normal by the playoffs here. Indeed. And another observation I made is who the Redskins played last week, the Atlanta Falcons. You can't sleep on them either. They are still very much alive in the playoff hunt. Yes, they're in third place in the NFC South right now behind New Orleans and Carolina, but Carolina better watch out. Deion Jones has returned to practice for the Atlanta Falcons, and getting him back is going to bring that defense a gigantic boost. And plus the way that offense has been playing all season long, uh, the Leaps and bounds improvement in year two of Steve Sarkeesian's system. The Atlanta Falcons are still very much alive in the playoff run, and they just might be getting started. I am with you on that, David, and I'm going to save all my Atlanta comments for my bold predictions coming up later on in the show. Looking forward to hearing those, Sal. And now, since we did our awards at the quarter poll, since we're past the midway point, let's do our midseason awards, starting with the MVP I decided I would keep it at Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes, the Chiefs don't have the most balanced roster in the league. You could say uh, a lot about their offense. you got Patrick Mahomes and some of the best cachet of weapons any quarterback, even an elite quarterback like Mahomes could ask for. And the defense outside of uh, D4 to Justin Houston and Chris Jones is not really good. If it weren't for Patrick Mahomes, the Chiefs would have had an infinitely worse record right now. Got to stay with Patrick Mahomes and MVP. How about you, Hal? Who is your midseason MVP? 
you know, I, I'd really like to go with Todd Gurley, but there's just, you know, Goff has been so great. All of those receivers in Los Angeles, the defensive line, you know, nobody, I, I can't agree with you more on Mahomes. I think I have to give it to him as much as I, I really want to say, you know, Todd Gurley, you, you're very deserving of this because you do more out of that running back position for that offense in Los Angeles. But Mahomes has just been, he's taken that Andy Reid offense that had this explosive ability in fits and starts with Alex Smith at quarterback and elevated that to a whole new stratosphere. And you're seeing what Andy Reid can do with an elite quarterback at his disposal. And I, he just has to be the MVP, Pat Mahomes. I just can't see anybody else with it right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And moving on to Offensive Player of the Year, I decided I would think a little bit outside of the box here. I'm going to give it to my man, Adam Thielen. Adam Thielen is my favorite kind of story in the NFL. Undrafted free agent, agent from Minnesota State, Mankato. Who's ever heard of that school? And he is on a peanuts contract right now, and yet he's playing at the level of an Antonio Brown, Odell Beckham Jr. type contract. His route running is just as good as any of those elite route runners I mentioned. He gets open religiously, and the fact that he was able to churn out seven consecutive 100-yard games to start the season, it just speaks volumes about this guy. This guy is a stud. He is a football-playing Jesse in the ultimate sense. These guys are the, my favorite kind of stories in the NFL. Just can't mention that enough. Adam Thielen's my offensive player of the year at the midway point. That is a great, great outside the box. I mean, th- those 100-yard games, the way he just piled them up week after week after week after week, it was so, so impressive. Um, I felt so bad not giving Gurley the MVP. I got to give him player of the year because he has just done so much for that Rams offense. Like I had said before, Uh, he contributes so much in the passing game. And it's, you know, 868 yards rushing through nine games. He's averaging 96 yards rushing. He's in the end zone every other time. It seems like you look up um, 16 touchdowns so far in nine games. Todd Gurley, my offensive player of the year right now. Not a bad choice at all, Hal. And speaking of the Rams, I'm going with Aaron Donald as my defensive player of the year at the halfway point of the season because when you look at this Rams defense, it's really not that good. Yes, they brought in a lot of marquee names in the offseason, but uh, tape matters more than names these days. And their defense has been caught off guard constantly week after week after week. But whenever they needed a big play to potentially turn the game one way or another. Aaron Donald has constantly provided it. And despite being like doubled and triple teamed more than two thirds, even three quarters of the time, he still has double digit sacks throughout the halfway point of the season. You have to give it to Aaron Donald. I agree with you completely, David. I cannot put anybody else there. I mean, he is a one man wrecking crew and he he's just unblocked. You can't double team the guy. You nobody even thinks to to single block him ever unless you're running to the other side of the field. And even then, he's coming from behind. He's got a nonstop motor. He's you know ten sacks already, thirteen tackles for loss. He's in the backfield every single play. He is a beast. He's at the top of his game. I'm with you a hundred percent, David. It's got to go to Aaron Donald for Defensive Player of the Year. 
So, that means we have to sound the simpatico alert twice. Because we agree on our MVP and Defensive Player of the Year. Offensive Rookie of the Year is a very, very tough one. Uh, you could talk about Calvin Ridley a lot. Philip Lindsay. Talk about a stud. Undrafted. Uh, talk about a guy who uh, doesn't have the requisite size, according to most scouts. But as Mark Twain once said, it's not about the size of the dog in the fight. It's about the size of the fight in the dog. And Philip Lindsay has a lot of fight in him. He just plays a million times bigger than he is. And he has been an underrated cog in a Broncos team that is in the midst of a rebuild, the beginning phase of a rebuild, uh, to put it accurately. But you just have to go with Saquon Barkley. Given how pathetic the New York Giants are this year, just him alone makes that team a must-watch because of the excitement uh, he brings every time he touches the ball, and he has been extremely productive. And you just have to give it to Saquon Barkley. Oh yeah, I, I, I really was looking, and and I really like the work Ridley's done, and the and the way he's really allowed that Atlanta offense to expand, being out not so Julio Jones centric. I'd I'd love to give it to him, but outside, you know he had that one one big game. But, you know, he's had a couple down games in between. And Saquon Barkley is the centerpiece of that Giants defense. They know you double Odell Beckham Jr. Eli Manning's not going to hurt you throwing the ball anywhere else on the field and load up in the box and try to, to you know, stop Barkley. And since day one, he's had the target on his back and he has been highly productive. He's averaging almost five yards per rush despite all this attention. And what's really been astounding for me is has been his contribution in the passing game. He has shown great hands. You know, they talked about him as an all-around back coming out of college, but you hear that all the time, David. You know, the, the there's a lot to learn even for that position in the NFL, but his ability to contribute in the passing game. He's got almost 60 receptions through eight games. Unbelievable, mind-boggling. So Saquon Barkley, easily offensive rookie of the year right now. And Defensive Rookie of the Year, I am going to pivot towards you and say Bradley Chubb. Bradley Chubb, I only expected him to have six sacks total this season because a lot of uh, analysts compared him to Chandler Jones coming into the league, and Chandler Jones only had six sacks his rookie year. Bradley Chubb has eight already, eight, including three in one game on Jared Goff and the Rams going against Andrew Whitworth, and that is no easy task. Bradley Chubb and the Bronco and the rest of that Broncos rookie class it should be giving Broncos fans some sense of hope going forward, even though they're in the beginning stage of a rebuild. And Bradley Chubb has been more than advertised this year. That is a great choice, David. You know I love Bradley Chubb. I'm still mad at Cleveland for not drafting him at number four. As good as Denzel Ward has been, and, and really he is a contender for this Defensive Rookie of the Year because he's certainly far exceeded my expectations as a contributor so far this year. But um, I, I have to mention Derwin James as well. He has been absolutely fantastic and really made an impact in the secondary there in Los Angeles. But for me, the the one player that really opened my eyes is Darius Leonard in Indianapolis. He's in the process of changing that whole defense. He gives it speed, athleticism, aggression, everything that defense lacked last year. He's a tackling machine. He's only played seven games and he's got almost 90 tackles. He's 
gets to the quarterback. He's leading the team in sacks over there in Indianapolis. And the one game he missed, they were horrible. They got blown out by the Jets. So he is already a vital cog in the middle of that Indianapolis defense and transforming that team, which has struggled for so long on that side of the football, that just for that that play and the ability to make such a huge impact as a rookie – I'm going with Darius Leonard as my defensive rookie of the year at the halfway point. Not a bad choice at all. And speaking of linebackers, Chris Ballard is the GM of the Colts. One of his previous jobs was as an area scout for the Bears in the late 90s to early 2000s. He played a big role in getting the Bears to draft Brian Urlacher and Lance Briggs. Darius Leonard is that next linebacker that could join that stratosphere of linebacking talent eyed by none other than Chris Ballard. So another gem of a linebacker found by Chris Ballard, whose record speaks for itself there. And comeback player of the year, I'm going to break the rules a little bit here. I'm going with a tie, and I will award this equally to J.J. Watt and, speaking of the Colts, Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck looks like a whole new player this year. He is listened to everything Frank Reich has told him. He is getting rid of the ball faster than ever to avoid all those hits that plagued him early in his career. He is getting back on track to being that quarterback we all expected him to be coming out of Stanford. And J.J. Watt, against many doubters, he is back to his game-wrecking Hall of Fame form. And he uh, and Jadavian Clowney together at last... Uh, it's just a dream come true to watch them both at full strength together. So easily, J.J. Watt and Andrew Luck, comeback player of the year, they win it in a co-fashion. <laughs> Ooh, all right. You know, I, I if I thought that was in the rules, I might have done that, David. <laughs> I was weighing it between those two. <laughs> but I ended up leaning a little bit towards J.J. Watt just because, especially, you know, you could see in those first couple of games of the season that he wasn't quite yet at a hundred percent. He wasn't up to game speed yet. And you saw the effect on that defense and it really, you know, by the fourth or fifth week, you saw him starting to take shape and, and getting back that form and that confidence. And that team has turned around completely as well. There's no coincidence that, you know, since J.J. Watts, you know, hit that 100% button, that that 0-3 start has turned into 6-3 and in Houston right now. Um, so that's why I was leaning just a little bit more to give that defensive player, uh, comeback player of the year to J.J. Watt. Oh, you said it, Hal. Very good point. Since J.J. Watt and Deshaun Watson started getting back into the thick of things, the Texans have turned it around. And because of both of those guys, to be frank, it's no coincidence. And Coach of the Year. This was a pretty hard one, but I decided to go with Anthony Lynn of the Chargers, and here is why. The Chargers have gone through some of their familiar... um curses, dare I say, so to speak. They can't find a consistent field goal kicker. They just got rid of Caleb Sturgis, and Joey Bosa hasn't played a single game yet this season, and yet the Chargers are 6-2 and two and just one game behind the Chiefs in the AFC West. The fact that Anthony Lynn has the Chargers on a winning track this year, uh, along with the play of Phillip Rivers, but you have to give credit to Anthony Lynn for keeping this team together and not allowing uh, the adversity to catch up to them this time. Anthony Lynn, for my coach of the year, he has defied the laws of Charger curses this year. Ooh, I like that one. Um, I'm giving it to the obvious one. I, I admit I'm going to be obvious, but Andy Reid, 
you know, the the Chiefs are just stomping teams left and right. Like, you know, teams aren't supposed to do this. You're not supposed to score 30-something points, 40 points every single week here. And we've long established that he's an excellent coach. Even if he had retired last offseason, he's a Hall of Fame head coach, I think. Um, but what he's done this year with that team, the effect that he has on the entire league with that coaching tree that's sprouting out from Andy Reid, the way that he's affected the rest of the NFL with his aggressiveness and his going for it on fourth down. And now you're starting to see the other teams are take are following that lead and he's having such a huge impact. And it's all coming from Andy Reid right now and that massively exciting Kansas City Chiefs offense that I've just got to leave him as right now coach of the year uh Andy Reid Kansas City Chiefs not a bad choice either and speaking of charters and the Chiefs there are our first topic in our truth and exaggeration game this week and here it is truth or exaggeration the Chargers are a more balanced football team than the Chiefs and have even more of a legitimate chance at winning the AFC West than they did a few weeks ago First half, yes, that is a truth. They are much more balanced. Kansas City has a lot of issues on the defense that the offense has covered up for them. Do the Chargers have a better chance of winning the AFC West? You know what? I'm going to stick with the truth on that as well. They've still got a, a big matchup in December in Kansas City. But they still play Denver twice. They've got another game with Oakland here coming up this week. Arizona's on the schedule. You know, you've got the Chiefs, the Steelers, Bengals, Ravens. Yeah, those games aren't too tough for the Chiefs. So, yeah, they've got a legitimate shot to go into Kansas City on December 13th and walk out of there winning the AFC West. So I'm going to go with truth. I agree there, Hal. And the next uh, topic in truth or exaggeration, the Rams made a catastrophic mistake by trading for Marcus Peters. That's an exaggeration. Um, <laughs> I was, <laughs> and, and, and that's not a popular view right now, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to explain it here. So Marcus Peters has always been a very good cornerback and everybody knows exactly what he is. He's the gambler back there. And, if he's your number two cornerback, you're in great shape. If he's your number one cornerback, as Kansas City learned, and the reason they were willing to let him go, you're not in such great shape. If he's matching up on the number one wide receiver, he's going to get burnt. There's no doubt about it. But that wasn't the plan for the Rams. The plan was Aqib Tlaib is your number one He's going to take on the number one wide receiver, follow him around the field. And with Peters on your number two wide receiver, that's where he should be. That's where he's a star. He's playing out of his role right now. And if Aqib Tlaib can come back from the ankle injury, come off injured reserve and get back in that role, then we'll see a lot better Marcus Peters there. The Rams definitely have to be hoping for Aqib Tlaib to come back 100% in time for December. And moving to another super competitive division, the NFC North. The Chicago Bears are a serious threat to win the NFC North. They still are. That's a truth. I'm, I'm going to stick with it. I think Minnesota, they're a little disjointed still on both sides of the football. They've got that great offense. Kirk Cousins is... 
getting rolling into, you know, he's done yeoman's work there, but something on that defense just isn't clicking for Minnesota this year. And I still think the bears that, you know, they've got two matchups against Minnesota. So we'll see, we got a prime timer coming up um, a week from this Sunday, and then they close out the season in Minnesota. So you're going to have some great games with those bears, but I believe in that offense. I think that they're legitimate, such an improvement over last year. You know, starting to see Mitchell Trubisky growing into that role. He's not there yet, but he's getting there. And the more he plays, I think more of a truth the Bears are a legitimate contender in the North to win that division. And that game next Sunday night against the Vikings is going to be a big telltale sign as to who comes out on top in that division. And last but not least, in truth or exaggeration, Jason Garrett will inevitably get fired as head coach of the Cowboys at the end of the season. I think there's a lot of Cowboys fans that are hoping that's the truth. With Jerry Jones, I mean, my God, he's stuck with him so long. Does he, you know, I I love how Mike Lombardi refers to Garrett as the clapper on the sidelines, always clapping his hands. That's the only visual I can get in my head right now is the, the clapper. So, no, clap off. I think it's a truth he'll be gone at the end of this year because I don't see Dallas turning it around in 2018. Neither do I. And if there was one game that stood out to me above all the rest on Sunday, it is the Saints traveling to Cincinnati to take on the Bengals. And there are pretty much only two ways to beat the New Orleans Saints right now, given how hot the Saints have been since uh, their surprising week one loss to Ryan Fitzpatrick at home. Um, the two ways the Bengals have to beat the Saints are pressuring Drew Brees up the middle constantly and keeping him off the field for long stretches of time. And that arguably makes Geno Atkins and Joe Mixon the two biggest keys to an upset win for the Bengals. And Joe Mixon, especially given the fact that A.J. Green is not going to play this weekend. Which of those two players do you think is more important in Sunday's game for the Bengals? Well, I'm going to go with Geno Atkins. I I think Mixon should be the most important, but nobody's been running the ball on New Orleans this year. I'm not sure Joe Mixon is the one that's going to start it. So I think for Cincinnati, they're going to have to do more than run the ball. They're going to have to make stops against New Orleans. And New Orleans, there's a reason that they have that, you know, they're second in points scored. They have that fantastic offense. And Geno Atkins is going to have to make plays. He's going to have to have that pressure, create a turnover, which we know is very hard to do with Drew Brees at quarterback. He's only thrown one interception all this season. But that interior pass rush is going to have to get to Brees because that is the only hope Cincinnati has of slowing down that potent New Orleans offense. On Sunday. Indeed, and with the presence of Alvin Kamara coming out of the backfield, as we saw last week, most NFL teams do not have a single guy that could go toe to toe with Alvin Kamara in the passing game, do they? Nobody does. They're very few and far between. And when you think you have one, you know, you still don't shut them down. Most definitely, Hal. And given how quickly Alvin Kamara gets open out of the backfield, Geno Atkins is going to have to get there in maybe less than a second, dare I say. (laughs) 
Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, I, I'm looking at the Bengals and, you know, usually they have Preston Brown, uh, who was with Buffalo previously, as who's going to be covering the running backs coming out of the backfield. And, you know, the, the number of times I saw Preston Brown chasing Dion Lewis from behind when Lewis was with the Patriots coming out of the backfield and, and trying to cover James White. We know Buffalo's futility. I don't see Preston Brown doing any better against Alvin Kamara, who's probably the best back in the NFL coming out of the backfield. Oh, definitely not. Definitely not. And before the Saints offense reawakened in the fourth quarter of last week's game to put the game away, the Rams did a great job of putting the clamps on them in the third quarter. What should the Bengals take away from that tape schematically? Um, s- s- trade for Aaron Donald if you can. <laughs> <laughs> well, they got uh, Aaron Donald's uh, de facto godfather in Geno Atkins. So, well, you know, I mean, it, it's it, it's a matter of you know not just getting the pressure, but you know they were able to get in the face of the Saints receivers for a little while, and that you know getting aggressive with them on the outside you know, thumping in the middle of the field. Sometimes you have to be a little aggressive to be able to to stop a team like that. And they were able to do it, the Rams, for a little bit. But great teams and, and you know, quarterbacks like Drew Brees, you know, you're going to be in the pocket of my wide receiver. That's fine. In the fourth quarter, we'll start, you know, throwing the ball over your shoulder and you won't even see the ball coming to you. We'll have those comeback routes that you can't cover and you can't stay on them. And we'll use motion to get our receivers open pre-snap. And once they started doing that again, it was lights out for Los Angeles. You said it, Hal. And aside from Geno Atkins going up against Max Unger and Larry Warford and Andrews Pete in that uh, Saints offensive line, uh, what other potential game-deciding matchups do you see in this game? Well, I'm, I'm very interested in seeing how Cincinnati is going to cover up those wide receivers for New Orleans. We haven't seen anybody make a dent in stopping Michael Thomas in any way, shape, or form right now. William Jackson uh, III, it's your turn to shine. <laughs> and, you know, um, yeah, I don't know. About, <laughs> I like Williams Jackson. He's a good he's a good cornerback. But I mean, this is, you know, the Saints are at a, at a different level right now. And it's and it's like, you know, you can roll your defense over and say, OK, we're going to take away Michael Thomas. But you've got to account for Alvin Kamara coming out of the backfield. And they're going to keep running Ted Ginn on those. Vert- I'm sorry, Ted Ginn. <laughs> Traquan Smith. He's going to be that vertical threat on the outside now. And, you know, you have to account for that. You can't, you have to leave that safety deep. And then they've got the ageless wonder, Ben Watson at tight end. And there's just so many different bodies and they're lined up so many different places in different ways that you just can't shut one person down on every single play. And and they just roll so many different packages and different looks at you that your head's spinning and it's only the first quarter. And, and I, I just want to see how that Cincinnati defense, if they're going to come up with some plan to shut down the wide receivers on the outside and say, okay, Drew Brees, we're going to take away your top options on the outside. We're going to take away Michael Thomas and force you to throw the ball to Ben Watson 10 times, force you to involve Josh Hill and the Cameron Merediths of the world in your offense and try to beat us that way because that is, that matchup on the outside is is very hard to win, 
but that's going to be the only way you're going to get a chance to slow down these Saints. Indeed, Hal, and who do you have winning this game? Well, I don't have a lot of confidence in Cincinnati in this one. I, I've got New Orleans in a pretty easy win, 36-20. to 20. I have it a little bit closer than that, although the game will not be as close as the score looks. The Bengals get a garbage-time touchdown to make it a one-score game, but the Saints uh, dominate their way to a 34-27 victory. And now it's time for our Top Choice Athletics Trivia Question of the Week. And the winner of this weekly contest will be the recipient of some of the best sporting equipment from our friends at Top Choice Athletics. And here it is. Who is Patrick Mahomes' godfather? What sport did he play? What position did he play? And what teams did he play for? Again, this is a four-part question. Who is Patrick Mahomes' godfather? What sport did he play? What position did he play? And what teams did he play for? And if you have the answer to this four-part trivia question, please tweet it to me at SportsCrunch on Twitter. And that's SportsCrunch, crunch with a K, once again. Or you can send it to me on Facebook, on our Facebook page. And now it's time for our rapid-fire prediction, starting with the Lions against the Bears. Uh, the Bears with a, their first divisional test since opening up on the road at Green Bay. Yeah, I I think we're going to see a little bit of a letdown in Detroit. That Golden Tate trade is going to affect that team mentally. I've got the Bears winning pretty easily, 24 to 17. I actually have the Lions winning 20 to 17 because I think the Bears are going to have a letdown when they look at that injury report and see Darius Slay and TJ Lang and maybe even Kerryon Johnson won't play and they lost to Brock Osweiler and the Dolphins. I kind of see another letdown for this team that is still learning how to win key games. So Lions 20, Bears 17. That's my upset special of the week. Falcons traveling to Cleveland to take on the Browns. Got to go with the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, Their defense is likely going to get Jones back, if not this week, uh, then uh, the week after. And the Falcons offense, uh, they should be able to take advantage of Greg Williams' horrendous pass coverage schemes. The Falcons, I think they have a pretty easy win, uh, 31-17. Yeah, I think it's even easier than that. I have it a super blowout here, 48-20 Atlanta over Cleveland. Ooh. Ooh, very, very interesting there, Hal. Uh, the Colts coming off a of bye, hosting the Jaguars, who are also coming off a of bye. I still don't trust Blake Bortles, even with Leonard Fournette back in the lineup. I think uh, Darius Leonard has a great game and slowing him down. And Andrew Luck at that offense do enough to come away with a 23-16 to victory. Yeah, I have it a close one, too. I, I, I can see Jacksonville winning, but, you know, they get into this habit with Fournette back there that they get a little more conservative than they should be. And I see Indy pulling it off, let's say, an Adam Vinatieri long field goal at the end of the game for a 17-16 to 16 win. That is a very plausible outcome as well. Cardinals, Chiefs, lock of the week. Chiefs, 42, Cardinals, 21. Yeah, I don't even have it that close either. I've got it uh, 48 to 17. The Chiefs just rolling over Arizona. On paper, this might be the biggest mismatch of the season. Uh, The Buffalo Bills and their historically awful offense traveled to East Rutherford to take on the Jets, who will be without Sam Darnold and Josh McCown will be playing. I still like the Jets in this game, albeit in a very ugly, hold-your-nose, low-scoring uh, 13 to nine game. 
Yeah, I've got it pretty close to the same thing. Uh, the Jets are just a little bit more talented than Buffalo right now. Both teams, the strength is the defense. So uh, I've got the Jets 16-6 to over the Bills. Redskins, uh, who we mentioned are in big trouble after those key injuries, travel to Tampa to take on Ryan Fitzpatrick and the Buccaneers. I think the Chickens are coming home to roost for the Redskins after those injuries. I see the Buccaneers, uh, that cachet of weapons, uh, shredding the Redskins' defense just like Matt Ryan did last week. And the Bucs uh, win in a close one, 31-27. to Ooh, I almost got that simpatico alert going. I have it 30-27 to Tampa Bay over Washington. All right. Indeed. So, boop, 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 there goes our simpatico alert. Your New England Patriots, after a very, very impressive win against the Packers, travel to Tennessee to take on the Titans, who got a much-needed win against the Cowboys last Monday. But I don't trust this Titans offense to keep up with uh, Tom Brady and the Patriots. Uh, the Titans keep it close for a little bit in the first half, but the Patriots pull away and win 28-13. to I've got it a little bit closer than that, but yeah, I think the Tennessee defense, they're going to cause a few headaches for New England early on, but uh, they'll pull away 27-21 to 21 over Tennessee. Another epic mismatch, the rebuilding Raiders host the surging Chargers, and this game ain't going to be close, 31-10 to 10 Chargers. Yeah, I'm pretty close to that. I have it 27 to 9, an easy win for the Chargers over the hideous Oakland Raiders. Indeed. And the soon to be Las Vegas Raiders, Clark County, Nevada, awaits you, Raiders. And the Dolphins at Brock Osweiler travel to Lambeau Field to take on the Packers and Aaron Rodgers, who are facing a must win game. I think they get it rather easily, 35 to 17. Yeah, I'm not sure what's going on in Miami. They've had, you know, you saw Rashad Jones pulling himself out of the game, upset over playing time last week. Um, Very, you know, strange situation on South Beach there. And I just don't see Miami uh, keeping up with a motivated Aaron Rodgers. I've got it 24 to 13 and an easy win for Green Bay. I assume this is your upset special of the week, given the way you've been talking in our bold predictions segment these past couple weeks, Seahawks at Rams. Is this your upset special of the week, Hal? You know me, David. That is definitely my upset special. And I, I kind of went back and forth. Is it going to be high scoring? Is it going to be low scoring? Uh, it was 33-31 earlier in the year. But I'm going to go with Seattle in my upset special. Uh, just doing enough on defense to slow down the Rams and win 30-27. to I knew it, and I am going to have to disagree slightly. I think the Seahawks keep this game close throughout, but I think the Rams eke it out on a Greg Zerline field goal, 30-27. to And the Sunday night game, the Eagles host the Cowboys, who absolutely laid an egg against the Tennessee Titans last Monday night. I just don't trust Dak Prescott uh, facing this Eagles defense fresh off a of bye. And as you said, the Eagles, uh, you expect them to hit their stride and rediscover some of their Super Bowl mojo uh, this weekend. I do as well. I think the Eagles come away with a pretty easy 24-10 to victory. Yeah, I'm pretty close to that as well. Eagles with an easy win, 24-16, to and everybody in Dallas going, oh my God, we gave up our number one pick for Amari Cooper. What were we thinking? Uh, 
You heard that, Jerry Jones. What were you thinking indeed? And last but not least, another hold your nose game on Monday Night Football. The Giants playing Nick Mullins and the 49ers. I think Nick Mullins keeps it up this week and the 49ers win 23-10. to yeah, I, I'm thinking the same. I, I just have no confidence in Eli Manning right now at this Why point. Why did you pass over Sam Darnold, Giants? I can't stop <sighs> asking that question. And, and to see him, he's he's right there. Come on, he's in New Jersey still. And you just, oh, I, I, I love Saquon Barkley, but you know what? You, you don't pass up on franchise quarterbacks no matter what. And I'm going with San Francisco in this game as well. I've got it 20 to 13 over the Giants. And let's move on to our bold predictions for Week 10. And why don't you go first, Tal? All right. I, as I alluded to earlier, and as you might have gotten a hint from my score with Atlanta over Cleveland there, I'm looking at a game with not one, not two, not three. I'm going to go six touchdown passes by Matt Ryan lighting up Cleveland on the road. I believe in the Atlanta offense. They're back. The offense is just taking off this is a game we're gonna see matt ryan who's playing better than he played in his mvp season it's just that well then there was no pat and holmes to worry about or jared goff you know <laughs> so uh, six touchdown passes by matt ryan lighting up the scoreboard for those 48 points that's my bold prediction of the week And my bold prediction stays in the city of brotherly love with the Eagles. Golden Tate, who they traded for a couple weeks ago, will go for over 100 receiving yards and catch not one, but two touchdowns in his debut as an Eagle. Ooh, I like that. Yep, it's a bold prediction. And both of us uh, brought our bold thinking this week, Hal. And last but not least... Here are our challenge flags for this week, and I will go first here. My challenge flag goes to the Chicago Bears. All right, you've uh, gained a little bit of momentum back. You're still atop the division. You're 5-3, and three, but don't get caught napping against a wounded Lions team. This is still a division game, and in divisional matchups, all bets are off. I guess the Lions might not have Darius Big Play Slay or on Johnson or TJ Lang, but don't get caught napping against a wounded Lions team because, as I said, a wounded animal is the most dangerous animal of them all. And my challenge flag, um, the news that broke today as well with, uh, I don't know why my all, all my challenge flags are for teams that are on bye weeks lately, but <laughs> I'm still thinking about the Baltimore Ravens. They're going to be coming back and playing Cincinnati in a big divisional game next week. They're on a bye this week. Joe Flacco, a hip injury has surfaced on Joe Flacco. Here is my challenge flag. John Harbaugh, you're coaching for your job right now. This is what you've been waiting for. Get Flacco out of the lineup already. Now is the time to be bold. Sit him down. Use the hip injury for an excuse. I don't care. It's Lamar Jackson time. Get that offense running wild with Lamar Jackson. Pull out every trick. Every play you've got for the rest of this season, coach like your season and your coaching life depends on it. Because right now, if you don't be bold in Baltimore, you're not going to be back in Baltimore next year. 
You absolutely said it there, Hal, and he is Hal Bent, ladies and gentlemen. He writes for FullPressCoverage.com, and you can follow him on Twitter at HalBent01. Also, Patriots fans, to catch Hal's articles on the Patriots, visit www.MusketFire.com and BostonSportPage.com as well. Hal, you're the best, my friend, and hopefully this week of football is more exciting than the ones we saw in recent weeks and sets the stage for what I believe will be a climactic Week 11. I agree with you, David. I think, you know, like I said at the beginning, the divisional week is starting up. We're going to have a lot of those games, and that's when crazy stuff happens when teams know each other too well. So I'm going to be on the edge of my seat this weekend for sure. You said it, Hal, and thank you very much once again for joining us. And that concludes today's episode of Sports Crunch, but we'll be back next week for Week 11, so stay tuned. Meanwhile, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that's Crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Hal. For Hal Bent, our producer Chris Broadhead, this is David Cromwell saying so long, and of course, stay awesome.